You are now listening to the penultimate podcast with the jump guy, Tyler Ray, powered by Project Pure Athlete. Jump higher, train smarter. We're back, guys. I'm super excited. I know it's been a while since we've dropped a podcast here, but things were on the back burner for a little bit, and now they are full steam ahead. I was super excited to have this guest on the podcast, Donnie Huey of Elevate Yourself. He's a volleyball coach, a strength conditioning coach. You may know him from the YouTube world with the Elevate Yourself channel. There's plenty of great tutorials and instructional videos from the world of volleyball. Donnie's a great coach doing great things with a lot of athletes, and I wanted to have him on to hear his story and hear his take on training and how he manages all of his athletes. This is an awesome episode, and I'm super excited to introduce to you Donnie Huey of Elevate Yourself. Let's get right into it. The penultimate podcast is powered by Project Pure Athlete. Visit projectpureathlete.com and check out the complete line of PPA training and technique products. All products are created by the Jump Guy and have been used and endorsed by coaches and athletes worldwide. Jump higher, train smarter. What's going on, guys? I'm here with my man, Donnie Huey of Elevate Yourself. And this has been a long time coming, dude. We've been trying to put this together for some time now. Yeah. And I'm excited to just chop it up and get right into it with you. So let's waste like zero time. And I'm going to turn this over to you. And we're going to learn a little bit more about Donnie because I know my, my listeners, my followers are, are itching to know more about you. Let's start a little bit with, with your background um, as an athlete and how you kind of found yourself into the area of, of volleyball performance and strength conditioning. Sure. Uh, so as a kid, I always loved sports, but I was just never very athletic. And, you know, people always say that, but no, I, I was, I was on the track team at elementary school. I was always last, but I was like running ugly, you know, and I just tried so hard. Um, I also played a lot of basketball, but I was not very good. And I even got cut from my freshman team. Uh, and our team wasn't even that good. We were like bottom third in the league. And I actually discovered volleyball in accident. And luckily our volleyball team wasn't good either. And because volleyball is not that popular and not that many people try it out. So I, I made the volleyball team after I got cut from basketball and I just kind of fell into it. And it wasn't until my uh, senior year of high school that I got bit by the bug. And for those of you guys who play a lot of volleyball, getting bit by the bug means you just cannot get enough. You go open gym, you go to another open gym, you talk about volleyball afterward, and then you go on YouTube and you watch some more volleyball. And you text your friends the video that you just, well, they didn't have YouTube when I was younger. <laughs> I guess I guess we're similar age, mid-30s? Yeah, I'm 34. How old are you? Okay. Yeah, I'm about to turn 34 in February. So There you go. Rub the YouTube same. wasn't. Um, so that's kind of where my journey started. And um, I also did martial arts for four years. And I just love sports and love being active. But I didn't really consciously formalize my training until my freshman year of college when uh, my neighbor, who happened to be my best friend, he bought a bench press, a really rusty used bench press from Craigslist. Nice. Uh, do they have that up there in Canada? They do have, yeah, okay. we have Craigslist here. Okay. So for the international fans, <clears throat> Craigslist is just a really popular way for people to connect without paying a transaction fee where you just meet up and exchange items or sell stuff. 
So we were just bench pressing just because that's what guys are supposed to do in college. <laughs> and we both went to community college, so we stayed local. And after just bench pressing, we just did not know what the heck we're doing. I was like bench pressing on my shoulders, you know, super wide grip. We thought pain was good. You know, there's good feel pain that, and bad feel pain. Feel that burn, baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, grunt harder, all those things. <laughs> and after about two months, I remember changing my shirt and walking by the mirror. And I had that Spider-Man experience. And this is when the very first Spider-Man movie came out, where after Peter Parker gets bit by the spider, he falls asleep and wakes up. And he's like, well, I got muscles now. So I walk by the mirror. I was like, what? I have a chest after two months of benching? There you go. And to me, that was so pivotal because... It was the first time in my athletic life where I learned that I had control over my athletic ability. Because when I was younger, every time I asked, I had this teammate. No joke, he's my height, five foot ten, in flip-flops with no warm-up. He could do a standing jump and hang on the rim. So he had a standing 40 as a high school kid. And it was mind-blowing. And I would ask people like that, how do you jump so high? And of course, the douchebag answer is, I don't know, I just do. It's like, oh, great, thanks. Just push. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought for a long time that if you weren't born with a certain ability, that you were just destined to be that way. And so that was the first time where I felt like I could change my body with some conscious effort. And that was my journey. That started my six-year journey to my first dunk. I dunked my first ball when I was 24. And... um I just spent all that time researching and reading up on it on strength and conditioning. And at that time, there just wasn't a lot of information. I mean, the internet was still growing. It was huge, but in terms of jump science, even now it's still kind of in its infant stage. People are right. still learning more things about it. And exercise science as a whole is probably only maybe like 30 years old in the U.S. Um, prior to that. So I, and I remember going to the university library in San Jose State and having to look up slides of these photocopy texts from universities that would do jump training tests. But they're really basic, like, you know, which one's going to jump higher with a counter movement or no counter movement? Right. Right. You know, these 30 individuals jumped higher, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, with 12 rep range or eight rep range, a heavier weight. Right. And then I just remember stumbling upon some of these old Soviet texts, which uh, Soviet Union, which was the first nation to formalize jump training as a true science and what that means is that you know people took really really specific notes and had a scientific approach to what is going to increase athletic performance and you know people are still gleaning information from a lot of those studies um, and that's why they were so dominant for so many decades in the olympics you know and one example i love to give for how weight training really changed my life and can improve athletic performance is the USA and Britain, which are supposed to be the powerhouses of boxing, were always losing to Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s because they thought that lifting weights would slow you down, but the Soviets knew lifting weights would make you stronger, faster, and knock knock you out. Right. So it wasn't until the Soviet Union broke broke down where they, the literature started coming out. So long story short, I used my body as a as a laboratory. And I tried certain uh, philosophies, different approaches. Um, one of my least favorite experiences was Air Alert and the dunk, the jump soles. And I'm sure you're what do you a mean, huge like going out for one mile runs didn't serve your vertical <laughs> really well. You know what I really liked was <clears throat> the extra stress on my Achilles tendon um, from doing plyometrics with no eccentric strength. That that was really good for my body. 
So if you want really good tendonitis, get the jump soles. Yeah, we'll send you a link for extra tendonitis <laughs> below in the description. <laughs> jump sole lightus. So, uh, the, you know, and that just goes to show that these national organizations were promoting these products because they just didn't know any better or they didn't do enough to, yeah, they just wasn't enough information around. So my vertical went from 20, so 24, 24 to uh, flat 40. Um, when I was my seat, my last year of college, I touched 10 foot, 10, 10, eight or 10, 10. I forgot which one. Um, Either one's impressive. I'll take either one. So that was when I got my first flat 40 and got my first dunk. Um, and it was just really six years in the making. <clears throat> and yeah, it was just a long journey. You know, some six months I would be up four inches. Next month I would be down three. And um, but yeah, that's where it started my obsession. And um, after I dunked, unfortunately, I didn't continue. I probably could have pushed for 11 and low 11s. Mm -hmm. But I think I was just so exhausted. <clears throat> from pushing my body so hard because at that time I actually wasn't training very smart it was just how can I generate more force and more force and more force right um so my body was just kind of burnt out and I just wanted to do other things I was coaching a lot volleyball I got really into coaching volleyball I got into powerlifting and became obsessed with that when got did you start in. the uh the volleyball coaching like when did you get involved with the coaching element of of what you do now well uh let's see in 2005 is when i accidentally fell into coaching my old high school coach told me she needed some help with just being part of the team and helping run drills so i, I came out and it was the first time someone asked me how to do something and i told him i, was like, I don't know how to do it let me get back to you so i had to really run through it and then when i showed him how to do it and he got better that was just such an exhilarating process it was very stimulating for me to be more conscious of what i was doing so that's when i really started coaching more and then I went from coaching just one team to coaching four teams a year, two club teams and two high school teams a year. Um, I did that for about eight years. I mean, coaching was my obsession and <clears throat> I didn't, I wasn't training as much. I had a, a little developing a dad bod a little bit <laughs> during that time. Um, but that was all right. Cause coaches are supposed to look out of shape. <laughs> as long coaches as you got should to not be able to do what they preach. Let's be That's straightforward with it you have a coach that can do it, you got the wrong coach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's... So you you got involved with the coaching of, of specifically like volleyball. Now, you, you know, a lot of people know you as in the gym as well as a strength conditioning coach. When yeah. did that become part of the equation? Uh, I'll say when I was 26, 26 or 27 is when I realized I wanted to start developing this as a passion and a side business. Um, I went from helping a lot of people for free at the gym to someone saying, hey, you should start charging for this. This is really good information. So I went and got my NASM uh, personal training certification and got insured and all that stuff so I don't get sued. And um, I thought their curriculum was pretty good. It was very general, but it had key concepts like periodization, um, injury prevention, you know, things like that, mechanics. And it was a really, really good program in terms of getting people started. Right. Um, so I did that just to kind of formalize my training. And since then I, I went to developing jump training camps. So, you know, like you, actually, I started off as a teacher. That was my first profession. Actually, I'm, I'm still a teacher. I just do all this stuff on the side. <laughs> really good. Um, so in the summers was when I had the most free time. So I would have these four week jump training programs where in four weeks you can increase your vertical anyone from 40, one to four inches. 
um, in three times a week training. So I did that. So the jump camp is really where that became more popular in, in terms of my style of training. And in the last three years is when I started taking a lot more clients and developing more curriculum outside of that, like my online jump training programs and expanding to multiple jump camps now where I can't, I, I, the, the demand is too high. It's a good so, problem to have. Yeah, yeah, it's a good problem. And, you know, just throughout the year, always reading articles, uh, watching YouTube videos like Tyler's YouTube stuff and trying to learn and educate myself. And the field is always evolving. Uh, but that's just my, my general background in strength and conditioning. The penultimate podcast is powered by Project Pure Athlete. Visit projectpureathlete.com and check out the complete line of PPA training and technique products. All products are created by the Jump Guy and have been used and endorsed by coaches and athletes worldwide. Jump higher, train smarter. That's amazing, man. I, I mean, I've been following along and I've been aware of your stuff for, for quite a few years now. So it's it's nice to finally be able to touch base and put a face to a name. And I know we've corresponded a bunch over email um, over the last year or so. Um, you know, I found you over over social media, right? This YouTube beast and, and Instagram beast. I want to ask you a quick question in regards to social media, because what, mm -hmm. I think that this kind of as as a professional in this field, this is this is an area that I have a lot of opinions about. Do you believe that social media on a whole is being used by by people in our position effectively? Are we doing the right things with it? Or do you feel that, you know, there could be room for changes? Like what, what's your view on social media and the and the fitness athletic performance industry? Um, it, honestly, I, I think there's more bad than good in terms of what's being promoted out there um, because those that tend to be immediately successful tend to promote messages that people already <clears throat> want to hear, right? They want the one week six pack shortcuts type of thing. And there's a lot more of that than you got to diet and you have to mm -hmm. diet to actually have that six pack show up. Um, and unfortunately, I, I think there's more of the desire to build a following, which is not a bad thing because if you're promoting great things, that's a very good thing versus having authentic, honest, and truthful content. And that's where I think it's so important for people to make content that they're proud of more than getting more followers. And unfortunately, I think the majority of the people are more of that end of the spectrum of, of trying to get more hits and views. Yeah, and, I think you hit the nail yeah. on the head there for sure. I know that you know I'm asked a lot, you know, or at least not asked, but more of the comments are made like, must be nice to have a lot of followers and have success all of a sudden and it's kind of like the response is like like dude i've been doing this for 14 years this uh -huh. is not all of a sudden so the, the point you make you made about you know taking time developing learning then standing behind your content and teaching it versus finding out what people are looking for and just bullshitting something up there that gets some attention I think it's important note to make and for athletes that are listening right now is being aware and being cautious of the content that you're consuming. Mm -hmm. And we have, I think, this like innate need or desire as this kind of like millennial generation of like instant satisfaction and gratification is like, what's the next best thing? What's the best this? What's the best this? What's the best this? Is I, I put out a quote not too long ago about if, you know, it's not about what's the best and ask yourself this question. Have you even tried what the last thing you found was the best? Have you tried that yet? Or are you still looking for the best? Yeah. Like give, some, give things some time to work and, and settle in before you go searching for the next best thing. Yeah. Um, so, no, that's like, that's a great answer. It's a great insight as well. And, and it seems like we're pretty on board with that. 
Let me let me add one more like yeah. a funny side story to that. Uh, when I first started my YouTube channel about five years ago, my motive was exactly like that in terms of wanting to build a following. So I was like, hey, I'm going to be like the next biggest YouTube volleyball guy. And when I started making videos, I got burnt out so quickly because my reward mechanism was followers. Mm-hmm. And for those of you guys who just ever first started your first Instagram or social media, YouTube, whatever, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to build up to that, right? People aren't just aren't blessed with 100,000 followers right away. People only see the end result and they think, oh, they just got lucky. Like you said, you know, it'd be, it's nice to be you. Right. But they don't know all the unpaid hours of countless content, endless conversations with people that will never, ever see you again. So I got burnt out after three months. I was like, ah, this sucks. This takes too much effort. And it wasn't until a year later where I said, you know what? I actually want to create content because I want to help people. And I've always wanted to do that. But that became my primary motive because people always asked me at the gyms, like, dude, how do you like how are you able to hang on the rim with two hands? And you're not that tall. Or like, what's that exercise you're doing? Or like, I've seen you work out here. You look like you're doing some pretty crazy stuff. So I just felt like I could reach a broader audience. And also training my clients, I always give them homework. So I said, you know what, let me create a video for you. So even though we're only meeting once a month or once a week, when I write your program and you do it two times a week on your own, here's a point of reference. And it's interesting how that was a much greater motivator that regardless of how many views or how many subscribers I had, I enjoyed the fact that it was helping somebody. And that's just a so much more sustainable motivator to do something long term. Otherwise, if you don't have something authentic like that motivating you, you're going to get burnout so quickly. And it's going to be a frustrating process. Absolutely. And, and like you probably get <clears throat> negative comments. And, you know, when I get them, because I know what my intentions are and I know that the things I'm putting out are helping people, those things don't really bother me because I'm not doing it for them. Right. Whereas I think if you do it for an audience necessary per se, it's going to bother you a lot more and it's going to get to you because you feel like, well, my reward system has been messed with versus you know having more intrinsic reward so great points man great points and i mean like you've done wonderful things with the online space i mean your youtube channel now i think you're what a hundred and some odd thousand subscribers on youtube 86 that's that's incredible and i mean it it goes to show that once you you buy into that authentic self right that person that you know you need to be is when traction catches on and that's what i mean i ran on Instagram for, you know, two, three years before it started to get traction. But I was, but I was posting, you know, me working out here and there and clients doing this, that it wasn't until one day that I just posted one of my athletes jumping and gave a breakdown and I was getting like 700 views on a video to like 300,000. And I was like, Whoa, there's obviously a need for this. And this is something that I've always done. So it was a matter of like that one little uh, moment where you're like, Holy crap, this is what it is. And then you hide it. So that's kudos to you for doing what you've done and, and staying true to who you are and providing content that you can stand behind. Um, that's the most important thing if you ask me. Yeah. Thanks. Now as a volleyball coach and a, an active strength and conditioning coach, you kind of blend and bridge both those, those worlds between the court and the gym. I, I get asked this question a lot, but I'm curious to know your response to it is where, where you feel the areas are, that are being overlooked lie in the volleyball world, specifically when you're in the gym training for the court? What areas are being overlooked and or overvalued? Yeah. Uh, longevity is, and sustainable results is, is 
two of the aspects that I think are incredibly overlooked when it comes to synergizing strength and conditioning workouts and actual volleyball play. And I'll give you an example. One of the top girls clubs in our area in terms of like winning JOs and, you know, national champions and all that stuff. Uh, I had a client who was 14 years old who came working with me. She's like, uh, you know what? And I was asking, how did you find out about me? Um, you know, what's your motivation? What are your goals? She's like, well, one of my teammates tore her second ACL. I was like, as a 14-year-old? Oh, I... I was like, well, what is it like? And then <clears> so <throat> as I got to know the family and what their experience like was on the club team, it's unfortunately the reason why they are able to win multiple 14s JO championships is because they they want results now. So, hey, if you're six foot two as a 14 year old, we don't care how you score the point. You're just naturally going to score a point always at that level because you're tall, ball down is easy. Sure. So there's no thought about how you're jumping, how you're swinging and all those things. And the mom brought her kid to me because she's like, I don't want that to happen to my kid. She wants to play in college and we want to make sure that she can do it long term. So going back to your saying of you got to slow down to speed up, taking a step back and really breaking down your mechanics and embracing the, the process of being bad for a little bit. I always tell people that you got to be bad before you can be good. So longevity in terms of going through. So like a lot of my clients, I'll do it in four month phases. The first one is uh, injury prevention, mechanics, rebalancing the body. Um, just being a unilateral sport, we get a lot of muscular imbalances. And during that time, it's really boring and it's not very stimulating because it's a lot of like one of my favorite exercises is a, a, a single leg negative or eccentric box squat. So mm. five seconds down, stretching the quadricep tissue, pause at the bottom and explode up. That's the only exciting part. <laughs> um, but it's so critical for them to learn how to absorb a lot of those forces and develop eccentric strength, body control, stability and all those things. And so whenever I get people, they're like, you know, how is this helping her jump higher? It's like, well, not it will develop greater strength potential because we're always a lot stronger eccentrically. But more importantly, we're teaching her body to handle more jumps. And the more jumps, and the more landings she can handle, the harder we can push in training and the longer she can play on the court and the less chance for injury. And second thing I was talking about in terms of mechanics, uh, which also goes in line with the injury prevention, but it's it's so important how you do something because I'll get you know, I get both ends of the spectrum. You get really uncoordinated athletes that, you know, just doing basic movements will increase their athleticism because they can barely walk, right? Right. And then I get the other end of the spectrum that are division one bound that are just raw athletes that are used to just muscling their way through. Um, you know, they'll, I'll see a lot, I'll see a lot of combo athletes, basketball, volleyball, where their backswing, you know, the elbows are bent yeah. versus straight. And, you know, a little bit is okay, but to maximize your radius rotation, it just generates so much more spiking power and jumping power. Um, but they're unwilling to make some of those changes because they're getting such great results now. Right. And they feel like a straight arm backswing is going to slow them down. So, you know, over time they, they get converted because they, if they're patient enough and they're willing to pay the money, they're usually some type of buy-in already at that point. Right. So the mechanics and the longevity of training is the two most overlooked areas for sure.
yeah, that concept of slowing down and making sure that we create that basis and that framework is, is I'm, I'm so happy you said that. That's like a reassuring thing to know that like there are more people like me elsewhere. I know there's a ton of great coaches doing that stuff. So um, correct answer. You get an A plus on that one. Good one. <laughs> yes. Good job. Yes. <laughs> yes. BPA um, certified. <laughs> BPA certified. That's all it takes. Just a quick little conversation. You're certified uh, on, with your, <laughs> on with your life. So what would you, what would you say if you had to like pin down like a philosophy to your coaching? Like you, you talk a lot about like creating longevity and, and, and getting that athlete buy-in so that you can help create those like incremental changes over time that helps them play the sport they love forever. Like, do you have a, a philosophy that you kind of base your, the elevate yourself on? Is there something there that kind of like is, is supporting you along your steps? Yeah. Uh, well, some of the key themes behind Elevate Yourself is yeah, I've always felt like I've had an underdog type of approach to things, me being an underdog and having a lot of perceived disadvantages and having to overcome so much to achieve pretty good things that other athletes would find pretty easily. And so I've always had a fight for what I've earned. I've never been able to just wake up and do something pretty easily, except for art. I mean, this is totally a side note, but I'm, I've always been able to draw pretty well, so I'm an art teacher. Awesome. But everything athletically gifted, uh, I've, I've always had to work really, really hard for it. Uh, you know, for when I was in the bodybuilding, people call it <clears throat> hard gainer. Like, I had to eat a whole pizza just to gain, like, half a pound. I mean, just a lot of things like that. My body With just was not... respect, I hate you. <laughs> he's like oh i've had to eat all these large pizzas oh man and i'm over here like uh second, second slice of pizza someone slapped me in the hands <laughs> oh, that's right kidding. you're you're the the 225 pro dunker at 60. I, that's crazy uh, yeah i definitely did not need help gaining weight uh, uh -huh. <laughs> but as fast as i could put on it i could definitely take it off pretty pretty quickly as well so you know what um on a side note congratulations for your pizza eating capabilities <laughs> loving it thank you uh, so it always has the underdog mentality and also having an, to me, character is, is paramount. I'm, I'm, I will never work with somebody that is a jerk or a douchebag or thinks too highly of themselves. Even if they pay me a thousand, I've had people offer me either more money or this time, but I just don't get a good sense of who they are. Or I feel like after one session, I'm like, you know what, this, we're just not, our values just not in line. You want certain things that I'm not able to give you, or I don't feel right giving you in a certain way. Um, and this bleeds into my coaching too, which I think is so important for people that coach volleyball teams or any sports teams is that, you know, playing favorites is not only damaging to the team, but it's damaging to the individual. Um, it could really damage somebody because you're not giving, you're not giving, you're robbing someone the experience where if they worked hard, they should reap the rewards. So not to say <clears> that everyone should get good playing, equal playing time. Absolutely not. Because if you're better and you worked hard, you should get more playing time. But you know, it really hurts, it hurts me deep inside when I hear stories from athletes or see coaches where you know, players don't show up to practice, but they still get to play, you know, things like that. Or this player can treat other players that way just because they're a star, but then when other players try to say something, you know, they get put down. And it's so almost like a nurturing standpoint, right? It's like, I think on a whole, and I think that's what I try to do as well as you is like, when you get athletes in your, in your environment, it's like, you're part of the family. Yeah. And as part of the family is I'm, it's my responsibility to help nurture you as an athlete, which means right. Pointing out when you've done something that, that deserves respect and feedback and, 
So I think it's just a matter of some coaches, I think, have lost sight of the what I like to consider to be the art of coaching, talking to an art teacher here. But the art of coaching, I think, is something that is is vastly overlooked for result. Yeah. And we strive so much for metric and data that we forget that, you know, these these athletes, they're they're people. Right. They're not math problems. They're not they're people. Yeah. So like you got to treat people like that. So I, I love the fact that you're you're very in line in, in parallel with a lot of the stuff that we practice at PPA. So, yeah. And the name is inspiring from the concept of elevate yourself. It's not just, I have a very holistic approach to a lot of things in life. Um, it's not like I'm burning incense all the time, but <laughs> I believe that there's a lot of crossover. And I think Arnold Schwarzenegger, he never touted himself as being super smart or super whatever, but he says, my success as a bodybuilder, I learned so many things for that. I just translated all the things I learned into real estate into leadership, into movies and acting. I knew that if I could succeed at that, I could succeed in other places. And so Elevate Yourself doesn't have the term jumping or volleyball in it because it's really about elevating your whole life. I'm hoping that by the content I create, by the way that I coach, by the way I run my teams, that people feel like the experience is uplifting, that they felt like they gained something more than just volleyball and training, working with me and, and having that experience, that their, their life really was elevated um, on a permanent level. That's amazing, man. That's such a great message. More people need to hear that. And as I mentioned before, and I'll mention it again, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Like I absolutely love these answers and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I got one final question and I kind of went off on a tangent. I'm going to pull you back into the world of strength conditioning really quick before we kind of wrap things up sure. is I think one of the most frequently asked questions I get is how, how do you manage a volleyball, let's go volleyball athletes, in-season volume frequency. When you have an athlete come to you, how do you, like, do you see primarily one-on-one -on -one clients or do you have, like, groups that you train? I guess that's a first, like, a side question. Is it more one-on-one -on -one or group? Both. So okay. right now, due to, I'm, I'm just having such a high demand where I have to turn people away, I have to do almost now mostly small group training in order to work with the people that I want to work with. Right. But a few, probably like 10% are one-on-ones, like my old school clients that I'm not going to turn away, but now it's going to be a lot, two, pretty much two to six people at a time. Okay. So let's let's uh, hypothetical this and say that you have a, let's even go back to your 14-year-old uh, female volleyball player that walks in. She is, and, and it probably happens to you on that end, is you get usually get an athlete like three or four weeks away from the start of a season that comes to you and goes, or it's like two weeks and they're like, hey, I just want to like be able to jump higher for volleyball. Yeah. What goes through your mind? How do you approach that athlete uh, with their training as they start into their volleyball season so that you do them favors and you're not sending them back onto the court, you know, bruised, battered, and beaten? Yeah. So the first question I ask is how intense are your practices? Because that's going to be majority of the workload. And then also, like, how many tournaments you're going to have? Because that, I mean, the neural fatigue from that, usually a tournament um, is going to be like five or six day recovery before you can do anything intensive. So for me, if I, I, I like it when I actually hear that the practices aren't in t as very intense and hopefully more technically oriented. They should get their conditioning mostly from supplemental work, in my opinion. Maybe 10 or 20 minutes of practice should be some type of conditioning um, as a trainer because if it's a lower or medium intensity practice, that means we could push harder in the gym. And if they come to me a month before season, that's usually the latest in terms of the ideal situation, right? And a good right. four-week block, a nice deload during the, the, the week, week before season starts. 
and it, it'll all depend on their deficiencies. So, you know, and also body types, you know, some people are going to need more strength work if they're going to be a little bit leaner. Some people who are a little bit thicker um, need more speed work and some people just need pure mechanics. Um, you know, I, I had one basketball player from Midi High School, which is one of the top basketball schools in the state, already super explosive. Naturally, he was, no one ever taught him to jump, but naturally really, really great mechanics. And so for him, it was just about learning how to peak at games. So right. how, and for him, he was one of the few few athletes that actually I, I could work specific, specifically with endurance because his vertical didn't even necessarily get higher, maybe a couple inches by game day. And then he could get more fatigued with conditioning so he can last longer during a game. Um, and then by the time season hits, it's more about maintenance. So it'll be maybe one or two days a week, depending on how intense their practices are and also if they have a tournament on that Saturday right and usually it'll be on a Friday and it'll be more speed work during in season um, so I'll give you another example we'll do maybe on a Monday it'll be if I've spent enough time with them to do cleans or if I not technical enough maybe <clears throat> dumbbell snatches or medicine ball throws sure um, lower weight um, higher rep just for endurance but still not super high intensity like a rpe seven sure um, do more of that for 30 minutes like a short workout that to maintain some explosiveness on a monday and then friday will be more of a strength work because they have two weeks to recover and then as the season tapers off to the postseason it's going to be just a one day a week of mainly mobility recovery a lot of form rolling um, a lot of stretching and actually, a lot of stuff similar to your single leg hop stuff, where it's just about making sure your body is stable and balanced. So we'll we'll continue to do more more body weight stuff, maybe like a ten pound dumbbell in your hand, doing these things just to create some greater stimulation than game day stuff. Um, but that's usually how I phase things out throughout the season for an athlete. That's that's good. It's nice to see. Like I can't tell you how many times I'll get an athlete in that's been training elsewhere, <clears throat> and within a couple of weeks, they're like, we, are we going to like lift more weights or do more stuff? Or like, it's like they, they, the stimulation doesn't seem to be there. And it's like, there's that kind of disconnect between you, you have so many contacts on the court, you have so many touches on the ball. You have, it's, it's trying to get them away from the volleyball court. That is the hardest thing, especially for a lot of my club athletes where they're playing maybe multiple clubs and a school team at the same time. Yeah. And they have like six or seven practices a week and yeah. you know, three to six, seven games where you're like, all I'm trying to do, I'm serving as a car mechanic. You're, you're rolling in here and all I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to do is just make sure your wheels are aligned. I'm making sure, you know what I mean? I'm making sure there's air in the tires. So it's like spending time with the athletes, like you're saying, stretching, mobilizing, uh, taking care and just managing the body um, so they don't, they're not beat up during a season. So the reason I ask this question is my hopes are that parents and or coaches of athletes hear this talk mm -hmm. and they realize the importance of educating the athletes in off-season protocol yeah. now a lot of my athletes are beach volleyball players and court players so it's like their their argument is well we don't have an off-season yeah it's to me you know find which one of the two is is your your strong suit maybe utilize that in season as more of your strong suit off-season plus some supplemental volleyball but there, there has to be a need to create this this resiliency in the offseason or else we're just going to keep beating these athletes down until yeah. all they want to do is leave, right? They, all they want to yeah. do is 
they want to shut up or you know shut down shop and and give up volleyball. I see it too often yeah. with every sport where these athletes hit you know 15, 16 years old and they've been going hard since 12, 13 in these specialized programs and camps. And camps are all gameplay camps. Jump, yeah. jump, jump. This and you know bless the coaches out there that are doing everything that they know how to do and everything they can. But it's this it's this wave. It's it's guys like you and myself and other coaches that are trying to push to to spread a message further beyond the the you know the districts we're in, the states we're in, and, and the countries we're in. That I hope kind of spawns uh, the next generation of, of smarter training um, and a little bit more educated coaches across the board. So yeah, you're doing, you're doing great stuff, man. This it's been it's been enlightening, and and I appreciate you sharing your insight on on training, telling us a bit about your story. Uh, for those of you listening right now, make sure you follow Elevate Yourself on YouTube. It's a wonderful channel. Um, you can also follow uh, Donnie on Instagram. I believe it's at Coach Donnie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, at Coach Donnie. So go do that as well. It's a wealth of knowledge. He's somebody that I feel very comfortable asking questions to from my end as well. So rest assured, you're going to get great information uh, from my man here. You can also make sure to check out um, Donnie's channel. We we This is our second interview, technically, of the day. Okay. And uh, Donnie got to put me in the hot seat. So if you're interested in hearing um, me talk even more, I know I talk a lot, but if you're interested in me talking a little bit more, you go check out that on his channel. And uh, we'll do everything we can from our end at PPA, Donnie, to support you and elevate yourself. And yes. I hope the other end as well. And we definitely have to collab moving forward. Um, I think that we can do some pretty cool stuff together. And get this world of volleyball aware of, of the next plausible steps to take to, to better themselves as athletes. So yeah. Donnie, thank you so much for being on today. Um, you guys can make sure if you're listening to this over um, Apple podcasts and on iTunes, make sure you subscribe, uh, give it a five-star rating helps out the podcast. If you're listening to this over or watching it on YouTube, what's going on again, thank you for being here. Subscribe. It's like a red button. I believe says subscribe just below smash, yeah. smash the like button. All these platitudes that you say about <laughs> social media i'm saying and uh we'll catch you in the next one thanks donnie that was good you are now listening to the penultimate podcast with the jump guy tyler ray powered by project pure athlete jump higher train smarter